It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 384 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Even More Union Busting. It is November 6, 2022, and this is Jen. And oh boy, is Activision Blizzard doing some union busting. I'm going to start off with a post from the Game Workers Alliance. And this is what they had to say about this. It is titled November 2nd, 2022 Bargaining Session Update. So it was about two days ago. Uh, According to, well, two days ago from um, when they posted it, I guess. I don't know. It wasn't two days ago. Today's the 6th and this was the 2nd. So anyway, this is what they wrote. The union just finished our first full-day session of bargaining today. The company refused to bargain during the day unless the union paid for the missed time of workers, which it gladly did, in order to attempt to get the company to bargain in good faith. The company refused to respond to the demand made October 3rd, verified October 4th, and made again in bargaining today, that the company honor all outstanding bargaining unit employee requests for remote work to be made permanent. They indicated only that they would not respond today, when repeatedly reminded that other non-union employees had their permanent requests honored. A copy of the demand is available from the bargaining committee. The union reminded the company that restoration of the status quo as required by law, including payment of the missed wage increase for bargaining unit employees, should happen immediately. The company did not respond. The union proposed that during the term of the contract, the company should not make any changes that disadvantage employees in any way. The company said it did not accept the proposal. The union proposed the protection for employees who require reproductive health care and services in light of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. The company, tone deaf to the critical nature of this proposal, deferred any discussion. The union proposed remote work options be guaranteed contractually. The company did not engage in a discussion and simply said it, quote, deferred, end quote, until later in bargaining. The union proposed an immediate 10% wage increase effective today for bargaining unit employees and nationwide for all QA testers. The company did not respond. Without explanation, the company denied the, quote, responsible union-company relationship, end quote, proposal. The union presented proposals regarding job definition and job structure, including pay for performance of leadership duties and codified FTE status. The company did not reply. The company stuck to its outlandish management rights proposal that would, among other things, allow them to outsource our jobs to third-party contractors, unilaterally change our work hours, or slash our department. Department once again, parentheses, which is the reason we unionized in the first place, end of parentheses. The contract is being negotiated to benefit employees and protect our wages, comma, terms of condition and conditions of employment. Without explanation, the company proposed today a grievance and arbitration proposal that would allow its own filing of grievances against the union. The union presented its own grievance and arbitration proposal to which the company did not respond. The union also proposed a neutrality and card check proposal so that employees nationwide could share the benefits achieved through unionization without coercion, restraint, and delay. 
The union also put the company on notice that it would negotiate further regarding the company's abysmal record of sex and gender discrimination by requesting relevant and necessary information to quantify the extent of the ongoing problem. Importantly, the NLRB recently found merit to our unfair labor practice charge, alleging ABK illegally withheld raises from organized workers and, without a settlement, will prosecute the company for withholding them. Although the company's continued intransience is unwelcome at the bargaining table, the bargaining committee is confident that through our continued solidarity, mobilization, bargaining, as well as the company's illegal bargaining posture, we will prevail. So that's what they wrote. The Twitter account for A Better ABK posted the following tweet. We stand with the bargaining committees of at we are GWA and we are at GWA Albany. We will continue to uplift the voices of unionizing employees across ABK and we urge company leaders to engage in good faith bargaining with the companies. Together we are stronger. There's a little heart there. There's an article from Game Developer written by Justin Carter on November 3rd. It is titled, Activision Blizzard Reportedly Forced Union to Pay for Missed Time of Bargaining Workers. During its first day of bargaining with Activision Blizzard, the Game Workers Alliance alleged that the game publisher made several ridiculous demands while failing to offer anything to the union in return. According to the GWA, Activision Blizzard allegedly wouldn't even attend the bargaining meeting unless the union paid for its workers' missed time, which it did in a, quote, show of good faith. GWA was formed by QA testers at Raven Software, and there's a parenthesis in here that says Call of Duty Warzone, so they worked on that, who unionized earlier this year. Those QA employees have been bargaining to improve working conditions at the developer, but as the GWA reveals, the attempts made are being met with resistance. Should the union's account of events be believed, it appears Activision Blizzard was unwilling to compromise on any topics relevant to the union. Instead, its company representatives seemed more interested in presenting bargaining terms that would skew toward management's favor. Of the various proposals presented to Activision Blizzard, the company failed to provide definitive responses to most of them. What ones it did respond to, such as the proposal for a, quote, responsible union company relationship, were allegedly denied. Games Industry Biz also wrote about this. Their article is written by Brendan Sinclair, who is the managing editor for Games Industry Biz. And the title of this one is Activision Blizzard Files Motions to Impound Albany Union Vote Ballots. Uh, Then there's an update in there. Publisher asks the labor board to postpone vote tabulation, comma, CWA calls request, quote, frivolous. So here's from that. Blizzard Albany's QA team is scheduled to have its votes on unionization tallied on November 18, but Activision Blizzard has asked the National Labor Relations Board to postpone that tabulation. The publisher yesterday filed a motion to impound ballots with the NLRB, saying the count could be po- should be postponed until its appeal of a previous NLRB decision in the case can be heard. Activision Blizzard filed its appeal alongside the motion to impound ballots. The publisher wants the NLRB to reconsider a ruling that the Blizzard Albany QA team would be an appropriate bargaining unit, rejecting Activision Blizzard's assertion that a unionization vote should be held should instead be held across the entire studio. Activision Blizzard is arguing 
that the review should be granted because of the decision because the decision lacks precedent as quote no NLRB decision addresses the appropriate scope of a bargaining unit in a video game studio end quote in another Activision Blizzard case the NLRB in April ruled that Raven Software's QA team qualified as a bargaining unit despite the publisher's attempt to have that vote held among the entire studio the Raven QA team voted to unionize by a count of 19 to 3 Activision Blizzard's motion in the Albany case states that counting the ballots and publicizing the results of the election before the appeal is heard could prejudice the voter pool if the NLRB were to later agree that Blizzard Albany should have a studio-wide vote on unionization. Quote, We deeply respect our employees' right to choose whether to be represented by a union and to make an informed decision for themselves in a process where every voice is heard, a spokesperson for the publisher said. There's a little more here, but that's the main idea of it is... um, This is what Activision Blizzard is trying to do to the people who are trying to unionize. And they have a union, but there's still things you have to hammer out between, you know, what's going on. Now, as I've mentioned before on this show, if you have a nasty company that hates its workers as much as Activision Blizzard seems to do, not all of the people in Activision Blizzard, but the higher-ups that have this power to harm people. And that's what they're doing for the most part, especially when it comes to unionizing. They seem to be completely against it no matter what, and that's just wrong. That's just wrong. Everybody should have a good place to work with you know, good benefits and the safety of knowing they can't just fire you because you're part of a union, you know, this sort of thing. Now, if Activision Blizzard gets its way, and I have no idea what's going on past the point of this article I read just now, what they want to do is instead of having the group of uh, people at Blizzard Albany to go ahead and vote on their unionization, they want to have the entire everyone who works for Activision Blizzard, and maybe King, I don't know, to also be able to cast a vote. Now, when you do that, you've got this small group of people from Blizzard Albany that want to have a union and if you stuff all of the other workers in the company into that vote, you're going to dilute it. And that's what they want to do. They want to stuff in enough people so that they can completely overwhelm the rights of the people who want to unionize. And that's wrong. And it's probably illegal, but this wouldn't be the first time. If it is, in fact, illegal, this wouldn't be the first time that Activision Blizzard has been doing things that are illegal. Kotaku has an article titled Blizzard's Diablo 4 testers defeat Activision, comma, can now vote to form union, update Activision still trying to stop the vote. This was published on October 18, so it's a little bit early. Uh, there is a ruling in here. Okay, this is talking about vicarious visions. They announced their intentions to unionize. The National Labor Relations Board have confirmed that their vote can go ahead. And in this... Activision was uh, trying to dilute the vote again. You know, there's a paragraph here. In this case, it hasn't worked, meaning um, trying to, yeah, something like that. The NLRB's ruling today clears the path for the workers to vote on forming a union, disagreeing in a detailed breakdown, explaining how work differs between each of the studio's departments and how underpaid testers are, with Activision's claims that, quote, we believe every employee at Albany who works on Diablo should have a direct say in this decision. And... You know, there was a ruling there. They did get to vote. Ballots were sent out on October 27 with votes that could be counted on November 18. So that's coming up. So this is actually kind of relevant in a way. Yeah, so that's that's a thing. And then there's another one from Kotaku from uh, just recently 
called Activision Nickel and Dimes New Union as Call of Duty enjoys $800 million weekend. Activision refused to pay on-the-clock employees for any time spent in negotiations. This is written by Ethan Gatch and was published just recently. Here's from this article. Quality assurance staff at Call of Duty student Raven Software unionized back in May, but over five months later, the developers say progress is almost non-existent on the first union contract at a major gaming company. Activision is apparently still denying unionized staff the raises given to all other QA testers earlier in the year, and it is even requiring the union to pay out of pocket for workers to be able to bargain during the day. All this while boasting about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2's record-shattering $800 million opening weekend. This is according to a new blog post published Thursday by Game Workers Alliance. In it, the QA, the Raven QA Union, represented by the Communication Workers of America, described its fourth contract bargaining session that went nowhere. They write that Activision either ignored or punted on all of the union's major demands, including guarantees of continued remote work for those not on site, as well as assurances that the publisher would not unilaterally change hours or outsource the unionized jobs in the future. Other proposals included protections for employees, and we kind of went over this in the other article. I'm going to skip ahead here. Most notably, the Call of Duty company is still holding firm on not giving Raven QA the $20 an hour minimum pay rate rolled out to other testers back in April. Activision has argued that it is legally prohibited from doing so until bargaining is finished, but the National Labor Relations Board found in October that the withholding was a violation of the workers' labor rights. If Activision doesn't settle, the matter will eventually go before a judge. Delays like that appear to be exactly what the company is hoping for as it prepares for a proposed 60 billion sale to Microsoft to close by June 2023. Earlier this year, Activision announced a last-ditch effort to try and delay a union vote at Blizzard Albany a second time. Internally, the company has pointed to these self-engineered delays as examples of why employees shouldn't bother unionizing in the first place. Oh, God. (laughs) That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. But that's what they're doing. And then we have a thread here from Nicole Carpenter. And Nicole Carpenter is um, on Twitter, obviously, and is the senior reporter for Polygon. So here is the thread. Activision Blizzard is filing to appeal the NLRB's Blizzard Albany QA election decision before ballots are counted per docs and Activision reps sent to Polygon. Ballots have already been mailed out. The company is asking to impound, that's in quotes, impound votes until a new review is complete. And there's, she's uh, got, this is a quote tweet from GWA Albany from October that says, we are thrilled to announce that the NLRB ruled in our favor to have an election of Albany QA testers at Blizzard with 94% committed to winning the union. We look forward to counting the ballots a month from today. So this, her tweet was on November 2nd. She continues, overall, Activision Blizzard is trying once again to expand the group of eligible voters with this new appeal. Its arguments are outlined over 70 pages, including an argument that one hearing was an, quote, intimidating environment due to, uh, quote, ABK stop union busting banners on Zoom. That's intimidating. That's telling them to do the right thing and the thing that they legally have to do. She continues, its main argument is essentially that the video game industry is unique and that the NLRB's established precedents don't apply. There is a piece here from the thing that Activision Blizzard wrote, the 70 pages thing. Blizzard's request for review presents a novel and important issue of representation in the context of software development in general and in the expanding sector of video games in particular. As discussed in detail below, the process of creating a video game is, in many ways, the opposite of the traditional 
production processes in which the board's precedent has been developed. A video game studio does not produce a large volume of products by repeatedly following a series of steps. Instead, a single video game is developed over an extended period of time, potentially a year or more, in which all of the employees at the studio work collaboratively to develop, test, and improve the game, which usually involves a customized set of rules, interfaces, graphics, and player interactions. Uh, Nicole Carpenter says... Activision Blizzard goes on to say that Blizzard Albany's games, Diablo, are unique even from, say, Raven Software's Call of Duty games, and this is part of what they put into their thing there. Even among video games, the Diablo games are uniquely collaborative. Diablo games are not puzzles that one might play and then put away, they, nor are they standalone matches such as a game of chess or a multiplayer match in the Call of Duty games, parentheses, at issue in the Raven Software matter, end of parentheses. Diablo games always, always is in italics, involve an ongoing narrative story, parentheses, across multiple releases end of parentheses, continuous character development and intricate integrated game worlds which react to each player's choices. The Diablo games are interactive works of art, in turn requiring a highly collaborative team to create a rich tapestry of world evolution, character progression, and it goes on from there but it's been cut off. Oh, and sensory appeal. There is simply no way a video game company can create and maintain a role-playing game universe without constant collaboration among the employees charged with building and maintaining that universe. This is especially true for an action based role-playing game like Diablo. I don't know how that relates to anything the union's talking about, but whatever. Nicole continues, Anyway, yes, the goal is to expand the eligible voting group, a tactic some labor experts suggest is to decrease the chance of a vote succeeding. Activision Blizzard for its part says it wants every voice to be heard. And then there's CWA's response from the CWA Secretary-Treasurer Sarah Steffens. She wrote this, Sadly, it's no surprise that a company that has repeatedly tried to silence its employees, including by hiding reports of sexual violence, would want to muzzle workers' voices once again by trying to stop them from voting in a union election. Workers have concluded that they need to protect themselves from this abusive employer by joining together into a strong union. Instead of say, staying neutral, Activision's management continues to present the, the same failing arguments in a desperate attempt to interfere with workers' legal right to make their own decisions about forming a union and negotiating a collective bargaining agreement. It's clear the company's executives feel threatened by workers organizing in New York, Wisconsin, and across the country. We are confident in the NLRB's response to these frivolous requests, and we will continue to push for Activision Blizzard employees' right to organize without delay. And then there's an article here from Hard Drive. If you don't know what Hard Drive is, it's um, basically kind of like The Onion, if you know what The Onion is, where it makes up stories and um, kind of... Uh, in a way targets companies or individuals that are doing stupid things or mean things. So Hard Drive does this too, but they basically focus on video games. So I'm going to read you this, but be aware this is this is not factual. This is like the onion kind of thing. Okay, just to be clear. The title of this one is Job Alert. Blizzard has a new posting for, quote, Office Bully. <laughs> And then they wrote this. Hey gamers, we like to help our readers sniff out exciting opportunities to get their foot into the gaming world from a career perspective. And if you're a complete and utter piece of absolute shit, we may just have the lead for you today. Activision Blizzard, publishers of incredibly successful games such as Call of Duty, Diablo, and World of Warcraft, and star of such lawsuits as California Department of Fair Employment and Housing versus Activision Blizzard, have recently posted a full-time job opening on their website for something 
being called an office bully. It's an unconventional tech position, but that could very well be something made to work in your favor if you've been looking to pivot into the gaming industry. Now, a little inside tip that more that uh, that other more conventional employment-oriented websites won't give you. You should probably lie on your resume if you are going for this job, which includes perks such as paid time off and the ability to eat anybody's lunch that you find in the fridge. You should make sure you appear to have the requisite skills they are looking for. Remember, they can't come out and say it in the job posting, but Activision Blizzard is most likely looking for someone to (parentheses) forcibly end of parentheses, maintain their office culture. The one in question is famously known as frat boy culture, so it's not hard to do the math here. We suggest that before applying to this position, you update the, quote, skills section of your resume with things like inappropriate workplace hugs and harassing the small segment of employees that are female. Maybe also something like proficient at intimidating employees into working nights and weekends without directly threatening their positions. Yeah, they'll like that. Another insight into this position, which sadly is a 100% in-office job at this point is that it lists the pay as negotiable. We feel this would be a great opportunity to show them that you have what it takes and demand a lucrative salary and dope-ass parking spot or else you're going to pour cherry coke into their computers and bully them to the point of tears. Show them you've got the goods. Show them your Activision Blizzard material. And I just think that's funny as hell. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) They kind of just summed it all up in a way like The Onion would do, but for, for video games going to move on to Overwatch a little bit. This is not a game I play because it doesn't run on a Mac, and I don't know if it runs on my Xbox or not, but in any case, uh, you've probably heard a lot of problems with the game and things that aren't making people very happy in some cases, but... So here's the thing, right? It's from IGN, and it is titled Blizzard Sells an Overwatch 2 Charm Cheaper in Real Life Than in Game. The Pakamari Keychain is more expensive hanging from a hero's gun than your bag. There's a little bit from that. Overwatch 2's monetization has been a point of contention since the game's shift to free-to-play has made cosmetics that were once free through the original game's loot boxes fairly expensive. It turns out one of the in-game items is also for sale in Blizzard's online store and costs more in Overwatch 2 than it does in real life. As VG247 and users on Reddit have pointed out, Overwatch 2 has a cosmetic weapon charm featuring Pakamari, an in-universe mascot character that costs 7 700 coins in the game's currency, which roughly equates to $7 USD. Meanwhile, a real keychain with the same design costs $5 on Blizzard's gear store. Notably, the 700 coins you would need to buy the Pakamari charm in Overwatch 2 are difficult to come by without paying for one of the preset currency bundles, and the cheapest one that would get you 700 coins is the $10 transaction that gives you 1,000 coins. So, there's that. Yeah, that's that's a thing. So, some players have found a way to kind of, sort of get around that problem and this is from polygon the article is titled can you really earn overwatch 2 skins faster by playing world of warcraft instead the answer is yes kind of it's complicated this is written by ollie welsh and here is a little bit about how that's working out an enterprising parentheses and perhaps mischievous end of parentheses reddit user has suggested that it's quicker to earn overwatch 2 skins by playing world of warcraft than it is by playing overwatch 2 the redditor who goes by the username everdale pointed out on the overwatch subreddit that world of warcraft's in-game gold currency can be traded for wow tokens which can then be exchanged for battle net balance. This in turn can be spent on Overwatch coins with which to buy skins in Overwatch 2's store. Coins can be bought with money, of course,
course, but if you want to earn them by playing Overwatch 2, there's only one way to do it, by completing weekly challenges. These award a maximum of 60 coins per week, which equates to only 60 cents in value. Coins are sold at a base rate of 100 coins to $1. So if you want to buy a $1,000 coin, $10 slash $10 epic skin in Overwatch 2, it would take you about 17 weeks to grind out the coins to buy it. A $1,900 coin slash $19 legendary skin would take about 32 weeks. Surely, Everdale reasons, you can farm WoW gold faster than that. But can you? And Polygon says, the answer is yes, you probably can, but there are a lot of caveats and it's worth considering whether you would really want to. So here's the exchange rate, <laughs> which is just amazing to think about, actually. Um, what's the gold to coins to gold exchange rate? And here's some of the points that they've uh, mentioned in here. We've established that 100 Overwatch coins are worth a dollar. You can get more favorable rates by buying large quantities of coin, but that's the base rate. The way to convert WoW Gold into Battle.net balance is by using it to buy WoW tokens on the in-game auction house. One token can be converted into a $15 balance or 30 days of WoW game time. At $10, an Epic Overwatch skin 2 skin costs less than the value of one token, while a $19 Legendary skin costs more. For the sake of some Simplicity, let's split the difference and say the average skin is worth the same amount as a token for $15. The price of WoW tokens on the auction house varies according to market demand. At the time of writing, the 30-day low on U.S. servers is around 210,000 gold for one token. We'll use this as a guide while noting that the price can go up and the cost of tokens in other regions is considerably higher. Azerothian gold is particularly strong against the dollar at this moment. Sorry, I just really wanted to type that sentence, says the writer. <laughs> you can check current prices here. If $15 is worth 210,000 gold, then $1 is worth 14,000 gold, or one 100 overwatch coins and one overwatch coin is worth 140 gold and it just kind of goes from there you know and then they're wondering how quickly this can be done and how you can do gold farming and it just goes on from there if that's something you're into but i just find this mind-boggling because you know if you've set up overwatch 2 in a way that it is incredibly difficult for players to obtain like the, the cool skins or the little charms or whatever they are that you're selling and you you like basically gate it so that you can only get a certain amount of coins from Overwatch 2 in a certain time span, then of course players are going to go find a way to do it otherwise. And it sounds like it might be possible to do that by playing World of Warcraft, which is the weirdest thing ever. I mean, that just kind of shows that whatever you're doing as far as monetization in Overwatch 2 is not working for people and and yeah, but I guess you'll get a lot more WoW players after that. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like mind-boggling that this is how things have to work. There's an article from IGN, and it has to do with PlayStation and Xbox. So this is titled, Phil Spencer, Call of Duty will continue to ship on PlayStation, quote, as long as there's a PlayStation to ship to. Spencer promises continue to PlayStation support amid biggest PSN launch ever for Modern Warfare 2. This is written by George Yang from November 4th, which wasn't that long ago. I'll read you a little bit. Xbox's Phil Spencer has said that should Microsoft ac Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard go through, the company will continue to ship Call of Duty on PlayStation as long as there are PlayStation consoles to ship out to. On Same Brain YouTube channel, on that one, Spencer said, uh, we're not ta taking Call of Duty from PlayStation. That's not our intent. Our intent is not to do that. And as long as there's a PlayStation out there to ship to, our intent is that we'll continue to ship Call of Duty on PlayStation, similar to what we've done with Minecraft since we owned that. 
He goes on to reiterate how Microsoft has kept Minecraft available on other platforms and that Xbox could do the same for Call of Duty over the next few years. Spencer also notes that players have invested a lot of time into their respective console ecosystems and that the most notable change that is is that more games will be coming to Game Pass. Spencer has also said he'd like to see the series on Nintendo Switch. Elsewhere, PlayStation revealed earlier today that the recent launch of the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 was the biggest PlayStation Store launch ever for a game in the franchise, including pre-orders and one-day sales. And it kind of goes on from there. But basically, this is uh, Phil Spencer's way of trying to possibly convince not only you know the people at PlayStation, but also the people that are regulating about whether or not Microsoft should be able to acquire Activision Blizzard King. So it's a little bit of both. My next article here has to do with the regulators. So this is from Politico and it says EU to launch advanced Microsoft Activision probe. Now we know the UK has done it. So this is the EU because the UK and the EU are separate now and have been for quite some time. So they get to do their own launch here, or you know, launch of uh, what are you doing, Microsoft, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so U.S. tech giant opts not to file remedies to Brussels antitrust enforcers. This is written by Samuel Stolten on October 31st. The European Commission is set to launch an in-depth investigation into Microsoft's record $69 billion splash on games developer Activision Blizzard after the U.S. tech giant opted not to file remedies to the EU's antitrust enforcers, people familiar with the matter told Politico. Microsoft had a deadline of midnight tonight, that was October 31st, to submit commitments placating the concerns of the EU Competition Department, but the company chose not to do so, according to two individuals close to the matter who spoke to Politico on a condition of anonymity due to the confidential nature of the case. The European Commission has a deadline of November 8 to formally announce its intention to launch a so-called Phase 2 investigation into the deal. In documents previously obtained by Politico, the European Commission has been quizzing Microsoft's rivals about the company's activity in cloud gaming and services, as well as the risk that the firm could foreclose access to Activision's hugely popular game, Call of Duty. And that is why I said that the thing from Phil Spencer was like, oh no, we're going to ship Call of Duty to PlayStations as long as there are PlayStations. But whatever, they didn't seem to appease the EU's uh, regulators here. Uh, A Microsoft spokesperson said the company is continuing to work with the European Commission on next steps and to address any valid marketplace concerns, and that it would make Call of Duty available on the same day on both Xbox and PlayStation. So there's that. The Diablo Twitter account tweeted this, Happy National Authors Day on November 1st. What's your favorite book in the series? And there's several that are uh, being mentioned as a response to that tweet. But mine is the Sin War trilogy. Yes, that's not just one book. It's three, but it could have, I mean, it, it's one continuous story, you know? So that's my favorite. I've always been a fan of that. That was probably the first set of Diablo books that I read. There is also, this just kind of popped up recently, um, the Diablo, the Sanctuary Tarot, Tarot Guide, Deck and Guidebook. Yes, really tarot cards made in the style of Diablo stuff. And there's a bunch of images here about what that looks like. I'm not really sure. There's a guidebook. There's a box, you know, typically that you'd see. And the art is really interesting. 
I'm looking at three cards here. One is the devil. You can guess how that looks. Uh, one is justice, and it looks like Tyrael's wings and the sword. And there's a three of swords going through, like, um, I don't know if it's a torso or if it's part of the armor of someone. I'm not really sure. They're done in black and red and a little bit of white for highlight or a little bit of gray for highlight. They look pretty cool. I've used tarot cards before, but mostly I like the art, and it's kind of fun sometimes. But if you're looking to pick up uh you know playing with tarot cards uh and you like diablo this might be the one for you it is uh it's been released on november 1st uh i think or no it's been put on amazon on november 1st it's going to be you can if you wanted to buy it right now at the time i'm you know recording this show you could get free delivery on friday november 11th and it costs 30 dollars, which isn't too bad for a you know tarot thing really $30 is not too bad. Considering the art, I mean, the art alone, just from what I could see from the Amazon site, is really good. So you might even want to just get it for the art if you're not a tarot person. It's well done. I don't know exactly who did this. It's got to be something connected to the Diablo franchise, I would think. Yeah. Oh, it's inspired by. Oh, okay. Here's the description. Weigh the past and seize your destiny whenever the darkened, wherever the darkened path may lead with the Sanctuary Tarot deck and guidebook inspired by the magic-infused mythos of Blizzard Entertainment's Diablo franchise. So that's kind of what it is. Now, I'm not sure who made this. Um, the credit here is by Barbara Moore, who is the author, and Constantine v uh, Valivov, the artist, and five more people. So I don't know that this is something from Blizzard, but it looks pretty cool. The Diablo account put up a video that you can watch on YouTube, and it is about the Diablo's Hells Inc. tour. If you remember people going to different cities at different times and getting a tattoo of a Diablo logo or whatever else. There was a bunch of different uh, variations you could choose from. And it's pretty interesting. You know, it shows you some of the crowd and it talks to some of the people that got the tattoos and why they got it. Some of them were allowed to get larger tattoos that were more personalized, which is kind of interesting. So if you want to check that out, it's on YouTube. Just look for Diablo Hells Inc. Tour All City Recap and you'll find it. Or look for the Diablo channel on YouTube and find it there it was i watched it It was pretty good uh carbot animation is still doing um the how-to of different classes in diablo 2 so this one the most recent one here is called how to necromancer and it's it's really funny in my opinion so you can check that out if you want to uh speaking of diablo 2 the uh diablo 2 resurrected is on sale right now if you don't have it and you want to get it it is $19.99 instead of $39.99. If you don't have that, you might want to get it. That's 50% off according to what I'm looking at. There's also the Diablo Prime Evil Collection, which is other stuff, including Diablo 2. So if you're like brand new to Diablo games, that might be interesting to get because you have Reaper Souls and something else in there. It's kind of hard to see the picture, but it's there. So um, if you don't have it, it's on sale right now. IGN has a video that included the Diablo 4 game director Joe Shelley and Diablo general manager Rod Ferguson 
uh, to tell us how they're evoking the spirit of the earlier games in the series of Diablo 4 uh, to create a bleak, moody world for players to explore in Diablo 4. And it's literally the two of them talking to the camera and also images from Diablo 4, some of which we've seen before. Uh, by 3 They Come is kind of in there a bit. So that's also on YouTube, and you could look that up on IGN's channel there. There's also um, another video that's actually on IGN itself, and it's titled Diablo 4's Approach to Class Identity and Player Choice. This might be the same as the video on YouTube, but you can you know, take your pick with that. They've also got, IGN also has the Diablo 4 team on its holistic approach to testing and live service plans. So that's another video. That one is pretty short. It's on IGN and you can check that out if you want to. And then we have the Diablo uh, podcast. And it's a vidcast episode, and it it was featuring Jay Wilson. Many of you know who Jay Wilson was. He was involved in Diablo 3. Um, I met him. Uh, Sean and I met him at the Reaper of Souls launch and got to talk to him for a little while. He was really nice. He was incredibly nice. So I liked, I liked that. That was cool. And he was like happy to talk to people. It was really neat. So this is a podcast, episode 10 of the Diablo podcast that featured Jay Wilson. And you can listen to the podcast audio uh, on the purediablo.com website, or you can uh, watch it uh, on the YouTube channel that they have. You can do it either way, whatever you prefer. That's pretty much all I have for now. Everything I talked about in the show today will appear on the Shattered Soulstone website at ShatteredSoulstone.com. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. You have been listening to episode 384 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.ShatteredSoulstone.com. Come join us in-game, our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, on Diablo 3, and there is one in Diablo Immortal, but it's got some issues, um, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as on the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. 